and welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about Greek sex paperwork so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read The Greek Tycoon's Blackmailed Mistress by Lynn Graham. Joining us to discuss this Harlequin romance novel is librarian and romance fan Jenny. Hello! Yay! Welcome, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for choosing this book for us. <laughs> I know. No problem. I, I know you had a the... detailed screening. Before. I did. But, you know, with a title like this, it had to be pretty awful. <laughs> um, I mean, and this this gave us everything that was promised. There was a Greek tycoon, blackmailed mistress. Really, what more do you need? A baby. It's like snakes <laughs> on a plane. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there are snakes on a plane. That's it. That's all you get. Um, before we go too deep into this, I'll make a little clarification, because sometimes people ask, like, okay, do you only read actual bestsellers? Like, what's the rating here? And so this, um, like we did when we did uh, Need for Speed, the movie novelization, it's kind of standing in for the genre of the Harlequin romance novel, because, I, you know, this individual one probably was not on the New York Times list, but... As a as a force in the publishing industry, I think Harlequin romance novels in general are bestsellers as a whole. And I just want to say, for the record, at the outset, that I read a lot of Harlequin. Is like it used to be a publishing house before it was bought by Harper Collins, and so there are several imprints. And so we're looking at the Harlequin Presents in particular. And I read several to prepare for this, and I actually really like most of them. This is a horrible example. Awesome. Of, like, the worst of it. And so I'm actually a really big Harlequin Presents fan, but just not this particular book. I want to clarify that. So what's the difference between Harlequin Presents and and Harlequin? Or are there other... Well, because there's the sexier one. Like, Harlequin Spice is, like, the sexier one, right? Yeah. So Harlequin, in general, is the overarching umbrella of all the different imprints. And so there's, like... Harlequin Inspire and Harlequin Heartland. And so there's like the inspirational imprint. There is the rancher and cowboy imprint. Yeah. There is the people of color imprint. Um, there is the super spicy imprint. And Harlequin Presents is the very rich alpha male in exotic locations. Nice. (laughs) Now, the really great thing about Harlequin, though, is if you go to their website and you're like, what's the difference between the imprints? Like, it is very super specific about what the imprints are. When I say alpha male in rich locations, that's not my take on it. That's like actually what Harlequin explicitly says this imprint is. Okay, because I was looking around on Harlequin's website, too, but I wasn't prepared to process it all. Um, so is Billionaires and Babies a subset of Harlequin Presents, or is Billionaires and Babies a separate thing? Billionaires and Babies is, first of all, awesome. Um, <laughs> second of all, it is a subset of one of the imprints, and I think it's Harlequin Presents, but I'm not entirely sure. But it it should be its own line, but it's not. And I think imprints, they're on board. I think line. Okay. Is more. Cause, and then cause also, with this, this to me seems like it is a billionaire and a baby. Yes. Uh, um, I think they had enough billionaires and babies and they realized people like them. Like, we should just, like, <laughs> label them as such. Um, one thing I love about Harlequin, especially the Harlequin Presents, is the titles are hilariously bad, but they always give you what you want. Like, Ruthless Billionaire, Forbidden Baby. 
the sheik's <laughs> forbidden love child, the billionaire's housekeeper's mistress, the enigmatic Greek. And I'm actually just reading actual Harlequin titles right now. Um, <laughs> the incorrigible playboy. Like, it's all super descriptive. Um, and I think it's because they do eight a month just in the presents line alone. So they have to be super descriptive so you know which ones you've read already. Yeah, fair. Well, yeah. it's also, you know, Kate and I talk somewhat often about fan fiction, and, and it's, it reminds me of that, because if you open up a fan fiction, you can look at the tags, and, well, I don't know, I, I'm sure there is fan fiction with the tag billionaires and babies, but you it would at least be tagged, like, babies, and, like, whatever, and, like, you would know just from that what you're getting into, yes. and if you just wanted babies, you could search for just the babies tag, and this is kind of that, but in, in print. Yes. And just in, in titling conventions, because it's hard to tag a book cover. Right. Yes. yes. And then also, Harlequin now owns Avon. Oh, because they used yeah. to be rivals, right? They used to be rivals, and then HarperCollins bought Avon, and then they brought Harlequin, and then because they had both, Harlequin subsumed, they put Avon under Harlequin, I think. I have to look at that. So I need, like, a flowchart to see, like, which houses own which line these days. <laughs> and also... Harlequin has its, and those are, you know, the longer, when you think of like the mass market paperback romance, that it's usually like 350 to 450 pages, usually not um, a series, just kind of one-offs. So Avon does that, and then Harlequin has its own as well, which is just called like HQN for like Hmm. the thicker mass market paperback one-offs instead of these, which are called category romances. And so the category is you like very much know what you're getting in that category, and so you have fans of the category, and then they publish, like, eight titles a month, but they only do a single print run. So once that print run's gone, it's gone, except now with e-publishing, you can always get it in e-form. Interesting. Um, yes. But because people are, like, really into the line, you can you, can, you have a little more freedom with what to do. And so where a lot of romance writers get their start, but there's also a lot of variability. So it's kind of, like, weird to compare... Harlequin presents to other Harlequin presents because you wouldn't like compare a scholastic middle grade fiction title to another middle grade fiction title from scholastic. You'd be like, these should be the same and they're not. So, but we do with Harlequin. Um, okay. So I guess that's maybe for now, at least enough about Harlequins and romance novels generally. Let's talk specifically about the Greek tycoon and his blackmailed mistress. Oh yeah. I have to say like straight off, um, and I, I was talking a little bit about this in the last episode where we read uh, The Target, the spy novel. Even though, like, this this book was, was not good. Um, and the plot was really uncomfortable in places. I didn't have that much of a problem with it. I really enjoyed reading it a lot more than I enjoyed reading the Michael Crichton or the... the um, What's it called? The David spy Baldacci. one. Yeah, the David Baldacci. And interestingly enough, like a lot of the tropes in this that were bad are things that if I was reading like a fic with those tropes, I would have back buttoned out of it and been so mad and so like irritated that people would do that and, and that they would think this was a good. But for this, it was fine. Like, I, I read through it. I thought I had said to my, my friend the day before I started reading it, like, oh, I can already tell this is going to be frustrating to me because it's definitely like a 
rich dude coerces a woman into being his girlfriend against her will and a woman who's obsessed with her birth child who she was a surrogate for you know because that's how that works and let's, I'm let's, pause, so let's say how that worked exactly uh which was that her younger sister had gone through premature menopause and um ella is the woman's name although she barely has a name she's like barely a person um, <laughs> she, she uh ella of course agrees to donate eggs to her sister whose name i genuinely did forget because she is genuinely not in the book at all um, Susie. Susie, thank you. Yeah. Uh, she donates her eggs to Susie. Uh, Susie has this child named Callie. What is it? Is it Calliope? It's Calliope. I think so. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're Greek. They're Greek. Well, <laughs> the the man is Greek anyway. Susie and Ella mm-hmm. are English. But Susie's husband, who is also like the man's cousin. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The the, the All men the men's are Greek. Greek. Yes. All of the men's are Greek. <laughs> <laughs> so Susie and her Greek man have this baby with uh with Ella's eggs and Ella of course is happy to sign over all her rights. She's like I just want you to be happy, like whatever. But then as soon as the baby is born, Susie cuts off all contact with her. She never is allowed to see this baby that, you know, was made from her egg. And then um they're so estranged that she doesn't even hear about it for a while after Susie and her husband are both killed in a car accident. But when she does hear about it, she wants to go and fight for her legal rights to this child because she is biologically its mother, kind of, and she wants to make sure that Callie is taken care of. But because... she also, like, the part that, that I found irritating and that irritates me when I see it, um, you know, echoed elsewhere in this culture is that she felt like not only, you know, oh, I want to make sure the child is taken care of, but she, her maternal instincts kicked in after the child was born, and she felt a deep need to be with this child because that's the way it should have been. You know, she, she didn't realize, she never thought she'd want to be a mother, but now she did deeply, and she wanted to be with this child, and it was more important to her than anything else in the world. Because and, she had given up all chances because she was a doctor and a career woman. And a virgin. And a virgin, because when you're in med school, you don't have time for, you know, sex. Or anything. Doctors never get laid. Nope. Ever. Ever. Grey's Anatomy is a lie. <laughs> People in med school definitely don't use, I'm going to be a doctor one day, I'm in med school as a pickup line. Because never. they're all it never noble. Works. It never works. So, but it turns out, um, because when she gave away her eggs, she signed this contract giving up all her legal rights. It turns out sometimes legal contracts are binding, whatever. (laughs) Um, she should have read that fine print. She did not. And, uh, Susie and her husband, their will gave the baby to Aristandros something, who Zanakis. Uh, thank you. You're <laughs> so, who is this? Uh, well, he's a Greek tycoon, in fact, and <laughs> <laughs> he's a billionaire playboy philanthropist, perhaps. <laughs> who <laughs> who Ella had a fling with seven years ago. He proposed to her, and she said, "No, I have to go to med school and like focus on my career." 
No, 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 no. She oh said God. yes, and then he made a public announcement. They're going to get married, and she was going to give up medicine oh. to focus on being his wife and mother to their future children. And she went, wait a minute, hold up. And then five minutes later, they broke up for good. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. They were engaged for like a full five minutes. <laughs> yeah. It was, you know. But now he hates her for embarrassing him like that way. Yes. And so, so he he makes her sign this contract saying that he'll give her access to the kid and let her be Callie's minder, basically, and live with them. But in exchange, she has to live with him as his mistress and be available for sex whenever he wants and let him, like, dress her and make her go places whenever he wants and she can't have any other entanglements, but she also can't be mad if he sleeps with other people. And if at any time he feels like she's violating this contract, he can cut her off, send her away, and never let her see Callie again. And this isn't like, in, in you know, there were a lot of people worked up about Fifty Shades for a lot of reasons, but some people are like, oh, and he makes her sign that contract and it's so whatever. But in the book, he's like, you know, this is not legally binding. This is just kind of us talking about our boundaries. It's just, you know, like, just that. It's not legal. And they're both aware of that. This is not that. This is, he brings in, like, two lawyers. She's like, oh, my God, okay, like, this is for real. Like, she is, you know, whether or not he will enforce it is one thing, but it's, it's like a legal contract as far as she's concerned, and she's following it as best she can. And also, in Fifty Shades, it's a negotiation, and he opens it as that. Like, he's using con- the contract as... I can't fucking believe we're still defending Fifty Shades. <laughs> I know, I thought we were done with it. <laughs> <laughs> but in Fifty Shades, like, he's using the contract as a physical object for them to negotiate their boundaries. Like, she's allowed to have input and to strike things from the contract and things like that. Here, he presents her with this paper, and he's like sign this or goodbye like that's it no negotiation no room you know you're gonna sign this and we're gonna do things my way and that's it yeah and when she asks like can I take this to my own lawyer to get a second legal opinion he's like okay but that's gonna make it drag out like weeks if not months longer and it's gonna be that much longer before you see this kid which for her is like okay well then I better sign right now she has gone seven like 18 months without seeing this kid but she can't wait another day to yeah. get her own lawyer to look at this. Or to maybe, I don't know, leak it to the press. <laughs> yeah. Just as as a thought. As she's, a thought. she's very naive. Yes. And virginal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if that wasn't clear. So, then, yeah, reading this, I didn't, I didn't like it very much. But I am not a big reader of romance or, like, a big fan of romance, uh, like, romantic comedies. And it's not, you know, I'm totally not here to say, like, nobody should like romances, they're dumb. Like, I totally get a lot of people enjoy them. That is great. For me, I, the way that most of them are presented, I have, I almost always end up, like, relating with the villains of romantic comedies. <laughs> and it makes me feel bad. Because I'm, like, whatever character is, like, the ice queen who doesn't want babies. Or, like, the bitch who breaks up with Adam Sandler because he doesn't have his shit together. I'm like, oh yeah, I want to, I want to hang out with that one. But then that's the character who either like disappears or like gets taken down a notch or like whatever. And I'm like, oh, like I guess I was supposed to find that charming. Hmm. Yeah, well, and 
I am a huge romance fan, and I did not like this. I even, like, I'm even a big fan of a billionaires and babies plot. I'm a huh. big fan of a marriage of convenience plot. And I think one of the things that gets me about this is I have seen this plot done so much better so many times. And when we get to Reader's <laughs> Advisory, I'm like, here are, like, eight other Harlequin Presents titles that have a similar layout without the abuse. Because he is very manipulative. He cuts her off from everything. Like, literally on a boat. Literally, literally on a boat. <laughs> and um, she has to sell her house. She has to give up her job. And sign this contract that, like, let's not parse words, makes her into a sex slave. And that's love. No, that's not. It is, like, classic textbook abuse and manipulation. And I don't like that. And I am a romance fan. I read a lot of romance. And I think that's what takes me off so much is I have seen this done so much better many, many times. Yeah. But. I mean, I think for me, like, I mean, like, obviously, I said, it's not a great book. I didn't not enjoy reading it. Um, and I didn't, like I said, like, if I were reading this in another context, and I'm, I'm thinking a lot about this so I might have to write something about this like if I was reading a fic that did this I would probably back button out but in this like I was just like whatever I mean I feel like I feel the same way I guess that I felt about Fifty Shades where you know it's not my cup of tea I don't agree with it like absolutely this guy is like rapey as hell but at the same time like I think it's overall harmless and because of that I was able to turn off the part of my brain that was like this is rapey as hell this is not right like this guy is an asshole and just kind of like read it for what it was and be like all right you know that was I think I read this in two sittings and uh you know it it wasn't it wasn't not enjoyable it wasn't something that I would have picked up on my own or that I'm like yes I'm gonna go read a million more about (laughs) million more romance novels about guys who make women sign sex paperwork but <laughs> i know i think that is an ongoing theme of our podcast now though it kind of is now. <laughs> but i i just was like oh you know it, it was nice i guess to read like a female fantasy instead of whatever convoluted action books we've been reading or non-action just... books oh there's just so many better ones out there yeah, well, and I mean, I mean that's like, the problem with our podcast. We're never reading like the best. You're never reading a good one. No. <laughs> like I 100 like I have. I don't read a ton of romance novels myself, mostly because I feel like that the things that I would get out of that I get out of fan fiction and with yes. characters that I like. <laughs> you know that I know what I like already. You know that I'm mm-hmm. invested in. But like I'm 100 percent there for people reading romance novels for romance novels existing for being into that kind of stuff like yeah and i would imagine that the ones that are out there are better than this there's fan fiction that is much better than this it is you know obviously it's on this podcast so it's not the (laughs) cream of the crop but uh you know it was it was nice to read about something from a woman's fantasy chest no definitely and i think part of the problem is i think romance really gets a bad rap because it is women's fantasy and you know anything that women like it's automatically awful because patriarchy Mm. um but also i think the really bad examples like this get held up as what romance is when it's not and it drives romance fans batty (laughs) like no just 
Oh no. Just so, I mean, at at its core, like what the fantasy situation here is is some like incredibly handsome man, handsome rich man takes you, puts you on a boat, forces you to quit your demanding job, and he just he makes her get manicures and like massages. He he like brings her diamonds and forces her to wear these diamonds even though she's like, "Oh, it's too fancy. I really don't dress like this." And he's like, "No, put on like my family heirloom diamonds. You'll like them." Um, he doesn't let her spend, she, like, the baby's sick, and she's like, oh, I should just not go to this party and stay home with the baby, and he's like, don't be silly, I've called a doctor to come take care of the baby, we'll go out, don't worry about the baby. It's somebody just saying, like, you know, you work too hard, stop it, like, and I think, you know, I'm not a mother myself, like, but I think there is just this whole, like, women trying to have it all, trying to work, trying to take care of the baby, trying to, like, have a dude buy them diamonds or whatever, and things are falling to the side. And, like, the only way you can have this kind of relaxing life is if a billionaire kidnaps you, maybe. Yeah, yeah I mean, I guess we should buzz through the rest of the plot. It's a, You've probably all already figured it out. It's <laughs> it's very predictable. I'm sure we all figured it out on, like, the third page. But he, so he <laughs> makes her do this and and enter this relationship with him and um you know like Renata says like she meets the baby the baby immediately loves her they immediately have a maternal child bond um well also and, she's the only adult who's ever paid attention to the baby who wasn't paid to yeah that that as well he because he thinks that waving to the baby from the doorway that's like their little thing <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's how he bonds with game. her is he waves at her right um, so he, like, makes her go to all these parties with him, and, like, the first couple times she really rebels against it, and, uh, the one time, the first time she's upset that, like, all these other women are kind of fawning over him, and then she takes a call from her mother, and her mother calls her a whore, she's estranged from her abusive stepfather and mother and stepbrothers, and she's so upset that she leaves the party when she sees... Uh, Aristandros dancing with another girl. Eventually, like, he, they have sex, and every time they have sex, he kind of, at the beginning, he instigates it, and she's like, oh, no, except my body, like, clearly wants you because I'm so attracted to you, and I'm so aroused right now, and totally stick it in me, but, like, I'm still unhappy about it, but really stick it in me. Because that's how biology works. <laughs> Science. <laughs> science (laughs) but over time of course like her old feelings for him resurface and he's like nicer to her and he's bonding with the baby and um eventually he takes her to like his island home that he owns that was a place that they used to go on dates when they were dating the first time and they settle into like a life there and after a tragic misunderstanding where she's so busy doctoring, she almost misses the opera. And when she goes to get ready for the opera, she, she sees a beautiful young naked woman and is heartbroken that he's sleeping with someone else. And then surprise, the beautiful young woman was a relative of his. And he was really concerned that she was missing the opera because he was concerned about her, not because he was angry. And Because he, he was her- at the other house. Yes. He has multiple houses in Athens. Yes. She just went to the wrong one. I think one of them was technically his brother's house, maybe. (laughs) But I'm sure he does have multiple houses. (laughs) Um, And he proposes to her and, like, tells her that the contract was just a means to get her back into his life because he loved her so much and he didn't know any other way. 
and they get married and have immediately have another baby. <laughs> yep. I, I'm sorry, I'm a little hazy right now. I took some DayQuil before this. Did you mention <laughs> the, the pregnancy scare before that? Oh, no, I didn't. That was the part that really made me mad, because, um... So yeah, they, it ends happily with a, with another wanted baby who they specify becomes his heir, not their adopted baby, which is also fucked up. But whatever. Well, uh, also because the 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 biological baby is a boy. Yes, only a, boys can be a heirs, very charming Renata. boy. Come on, Barf. <laughs> anyway, so they um one of the times they have sex afterwards, he gets really angry, like punches the wall because they forgot to use a condom. And then she's like, oh, no, and I am fertile right now. Oh, no. And they're just kind of, like, worked off about what would happen if she were pregnant. And I was so mad because, like, she is a doctor and he is this, like, billionaire playboy. And neither of them were like, oh, yeah, the morning after pill. Let's just get, like, he should have just, like, a whole life raft full of morning after pill on his boat. It's just, like, fully stocked all the time. But that never came up. And then it turns out she's not pregnant. But then she goes to him and she's like, oh, just so you know, I'm not pregnant. And then they realize that they both kind of secretly wanted her to be pregnant. But she's like, oh, I just I assumed that you would like make me have an abortion. And he's like, no, I would never because like my slutty mom wanted to abort me, but my dad persuaded her not to. And then somehow that's like a turning point. Like she likes him more because he wasn't going to make her have an abortion. Because that's what that's what qualifies for feelings. Yeah, that was him having feelings. And being vulnerable. Yeah, he, he feelings, like, essentially, my, my, the main, aside from the rapiness of this book, I feel like the main flaw is that he, like, you're supposed to believe that they're developing this relationship that over time together, she's starting to, he's being nicer and she's starting to fall for him. But we don't see that. There's just, like, three, we hear that in the narrative. Like, she just, like, says that. And then at the end, he has, like, three feelings dumps where he talks about his tragic past and how cruel his mother was and how she cared more about being an actress than raising him. And she put her work before him, and that's why he wanted um, Ella to give up being a doctor because he wanted her to be devoted to their children. And it's just, like, that's that's how we get everything about him, is these, like, two times where he opens up to her in the last 50 pages of the book. And that's um, pretty common in category romance, because category romances, these are under 200 pages long. These are short books. <laughs> and so you get a lot of that. Um, the slow burn's not that slow. The character <laughs> development is pretty rushed. Because the last 50 pages of the book, that's the last 25%. I mean... <laughs> in a way it almost like if you read a bunch of these i wonder if it does become kind of like fan fiction in the sense that like you know it's it's not actually like tony stark and pepper Potts or whatever but like you feel like you know these characters anyway just because they are all, all kind of the same person so like maybe in a, in the same way that with fan fiction you don't have to spend that much time developing tony stark because like oh i saw the movie i get it is it kind of like that like oh yeah it's the billionaire who like his feelings are there, but they're just buried under this layer of douchiness, and they'll come out. A little bit. Okay. A little bit. There's, like, <laughs> kind of, like, so there's, like, five different billionaire types, you know? <laughs> Could you tell us what they and are? And, like, three lady types. <laughs> um, you get, like, the billionaire who's, also, who's like, actually a jerk. 
um, and then like has some sort of feelings at the end. Um, my favorite is the billionaire who's just misunderstood, um, where he's not actually a jerk. He just like something happened that the heroine misunderstood, and so she thinks he's a jerk, but really. It was all just a comic misunderstanding, and they can't talk to each other like adults about their feelings, and so Naturally. conflict. Um, you get the billionaire. Those are, like, the two big ones, and then there's, like, variations on those themes. Okay. So would you say that Ari and this, is he misunderstood, or is he actually a jerk? Oh, he is a giant asshole. Okay. But do you, think the narrative, do you think the narrative wanted us to believe he was misunderstood? Yes. Okay. And I think had he not forced that contract on her, then he could have been in the misunderstood billionaire. Got but it. But, like, and the other thing, and this is something the narrative makes clear, like, this whole contract, this is revenge. Oh, he doesn't yeah. think it is, but everyone around him knows it and names it as such. I mean, and this is I... just, like, a giant revenge plot against her because... She embarrassed him once seven years ago. And no one ever does that. And no one ever does that. And it must, it was like this horrible, horrible embarrassment, except when she comes back into the life and is back in her papers, like no one's like, oh yeah, this is his ex-fiance and blah, 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 because plot holes. Yeah, that was a plot hole that really niggled at me because apparently, like, this was a huge thing for him and it was in all the papers that this woman dissed him. And yet, despite that, when she returns to his side and is on his arm it could easily be explained away that like you know their niece is orphaned he's taking care of her she's come back to reconnect with the little girl and they've rekindled their romance but instead it's like who's the mystery whore on Ari's arm at this party it's like mm, but but they they she was in the papers to what yeah uh, it, that they could have even explained that that wasn't happening because they wanted to protect the kid and keep her out of the news, and maybe that was even what was supposed to be. I don't remember if the kid was in the news or not, but they never explicitly say that that that's a concern. Also, I want to point out this whole development's all about the kid. Supposedly, we do not actually meet the kid, and Ella doesn't meet the kid until halfway through the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's all about Callie. Yeah, because there is definitely still a full-time staff that takes care of the kid. And oh, Ella yeah. just kind of pops in sometimes. Because she has to go to art gallery openings. Yep. Yep. Because Ari's a jerk. And doesn't deserve any of this, including the diamonds. He should not have that many diamonds to give away. <laughs> Some of them are sapphires. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> uh, that was it for the plot. You don't yeah. um, get a lot of subplot or... <laughs> When right, there's only right. 197 pages. Yeah. So, and, and there are a fair number of sex scenes, which are kind of in the veins of Outlander and other stuff we've read, where they're they're a little bit vague and, you know, romance novelishly written. No, uh, see, 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 common misconception. Go on, go on. That is not romance novelly written. Go on. Uh, most romance novels, if you go for the mass market paperback, like what you think of, like with the clinch, with like Fabio on the cover... Yes. Yeah, those sex scenes are much more explicit mm. and use proper grown-up sex terms <laughs> um, for things. This is like what we'd almost call, this is somewhere between that and what we call a sweet romance, which is where it's all very fade to black. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of somewhere in between, but 
most romance novels have much more explicit sex. Most of my experience in reading romance novels is um, at various hostels. Like, every <laughs> hostel in the world has at least one romance novel that someone has abandoned there. And a fun game to play is, like, with the people you're traveling with or strangers to, like, flip through it and just take turns passing around and reading the sex scenes and seeing who can read them the longest without laughing. <laughs> I would recommend that to anyone. Um, maybe just next time you travel, bring a romance novel with you so you're prepared for that game. <laughs> so, I have a Kindle full. There you go. Pass that around. <laughs> yeah. So in addition to like not using grown up sex words, they're all like every single sex scene is just penis and vagina missionary style sex on a bed. Like that, I think she she starts to blow him once, and then she makes him stop. He makes her stop so that they can just have regular penis and vagina missionary style sex on a bed. Yeah. Which was disappointing. Yeah. And this, you know, again, like I've been saying, I'm, I'm obviously not a romance novel expert, but even, like, uh, again, going back to Fifty Shades, which I'd hoped not to do anymore, that was another, that was something that I had found refreshing about Fifty Shades just compared to the few other romance novels I had read that, like, the sex was explicit and it made sense and there was variety happening and it seemed enjoyable for both yeah. parties. You usually get... Um more explicit and more variety in a non-category. And partly that's part of, like, the category romance thing. It's, like, you know exactly what you're going to get. Mm. Um, and also, you know, you have more pages to play with. Yeah. So <laughs> you can spend more pages <laughs> on all of the details and sensations. Awesome. Yes. Okay, well, and when we get to Reader's Advisory, you can steer us towards some better romance oh, novels. Yeah. I will. Um... But I guess we should probably move on to our dramatic readings then. We've gone through the plot. Yeah. For what it that is. That doesn't work. For what it is. <laughs> it's pretty basic. Uh-huh. All right. I think for dramatic readings, we're going to start off with Jenny reading about Ella um, confronted with her sex contract for the first time and her reaction, which is to feel degraded and aroused. Yes. He summoned two lawyers, and their signatures were duly witnessed. She couldn't look either man in the eye, for Aristandros had made her feel like a whore who was selling not only her body to him, but also her self-will. She found it hard to credit that the same male had once treated her with pronounced respect and courtesy. She was convinced that rejection had made him hate her. What now? She breathed when they were alone again. This. His hands enclosed her firmly to pull her to him. Long fingers curved to her cheekbone, tipping up her mouth, and suddenly he was kissing her, and instant explosions of reaction were fizzing through her bloodstream. His masculine urgency was incredibly exciting. A savage rush of sexual hunger engulfed her. With a helpless shiver, she pressed herself to the hard, muscular wall of his chest, impelled by the straining sensitivity of her breasts and the liquid heat between her thighs to seek closer contact. She wanted, needed, craved more than that connection. He closed a hand to her hips, tilting her against him, and a low sound of response broke low into her throat as she felt the force of his erection even through their clothing, and her own body loved with instant answering need. Aristandros lifted his handsome dark head and dealt her a smile that was purebred predator, frozen on the outside, meltingly hot within Kuklumu. How many other guys have there been? So, yeah. Gross. <laughs> yeah, when... when um. 
I think, because I've never had to sign a sex contract like this, <laughs> I was made to feel like I just sold my body and self well and then you kissed me. My bloodstream would have fizzing. Uh, there would be explosions fizzing through my bloodstream, but more of the punching variety. <laughs> Not of the, oh, yes, take me variety. Well, it just goes to show, I guess, you don't know until... Women I don't guess. know what they want until they're blackmailed into having it. True. That is true. I say that all the time. <laughs> Please blackmail me. I have that uh, cross-stitched onto a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> Soon available for sale at worstbestsellers.com. <laughs> Uh, okay, so our, our next uh, Kindle reading, uh, or sorry, next dramatic reading from the Kindle will be Kate and I reading their first sex scene when Ella loses her virginity, and Kate will be Ella, and I will be Ari. You'll enjoy yourself much more when you let go of that rigid self-control. Don't taunt me, Ella warned him grittily. I wasn't. He frowned. I want this to be an unforgettable night. Her body, a playground of tingling, energized responses, all of which seemed beyond her control. Ella shivered, so wound up with tension that it was an achievement just to think. She registered that this was Ari, the ultimate alpha male at his most driven, and seemingly sex was not quite as casual an event as he had made it sound. Even between the sheets, he was set on scoring the highest possible results. At the same time, he was so beautiful that just looking at him turned her heart over. He shifted the hair-roughened skin of his chest, scratching against her jutting nipples and sending a scorching dart of extreme awareness down to the swollen heat and moisture at the very heart of her. In a movement that was utterly instinctive, she sank her fingers into his luxuriant black hair to drag him down to her and urge his mouth back onto hers again. He dealt her a frank look of surprise. You talk too much, Ella told him baldly. Laughter rumbled in his chest and then he kissed her. Complaint was the last thing on her mind for in that department he had no equal. He kissed with an unholy passion. The all-encompassing hunger surged again, and she clung to him, excitement taking over and overwhelming her final defenses. Say, Thalo, I want you, he bit out, studying her with dark golden eyes that smoldered with appreciation. When you respond like this to me, it blows my mind, Criso Moo. She writhed in whimpering reaction while he explored the slick, wet flesh between her thighs. She was so tender, and he was so skilled that both stillness and silence were impossible for her. Sensation engulfed her with exquisite pleasure as he teased the tiny bud below the pale curls, screening her feminine mound. <laughs> All restraint was gone. Her entire being was centered on the throbbing need he had awakened and the wickedly tormenting expertise of his technique. The yearning hunger got stronger and stronger until it felt as though her whole body was primed on a knife edge of intolerable tension and longing. When he finally tipped her off that edge into climax, it was as if the explosion began low on her pelvis and slowly, wonderfully roared in wave after glorious wave through the rest of her. 
She was still awash with wondering bliss and stunned by the intensity of the experience when Aristandros slid between her thighs and sunk his hands below her hips to raise her. His iron-hard shaft probed her lush opening, and she gasped at the strangeness of a sensation magnified by the incredible sensitivity of her tender flesh. He attempted to plunge deeper, but for an instant her body seemed to resist him. With a stifled exclamation, he tipped back her knees to ease his entry. Her untried feminine sheath finally stretched to accommodate him, and she cried out at the sudden, shockingly sensual pleasure of his penetration. Her heart was racing as he delved deeper into her, and she arched up on fire with excitement and renewed hunger. Nothing had ever felt so amazing. She was spellbound by the heady exhilaration of his masculine dominance and the extraordinary pleasure that was building inside her again. (laughs) Just moments later, she surged feverishly to another sexual peak, which shattered her like glass into a hundred glittering pieces and flung her into the sun. (laughs) Stunned by the explosive intensity of the pleasure, she was better prepared when it happened yet again before he achieved his own release. In the aftermath of that wild roller coaster experience, Ella was in shock and as physically weak as a newborn kitten, drained by her own extravagant response. My every dream comes true. Aristandros purred as he stretched like a jungle cat in the heat of the sun. Rolling back to her, he dropped a kiss on her brow and studied her with unashamed satisfaction. A multi-orgasmic woman who sets my bed on fire, Criso Moo. Well, that was... (laughs) Kate, you did so good. You totally won the game. (laughs) I did. I made it pretty far. I think I made it to uh, flung her into the sun before I really lost it. I mean, I just feel like that would be this painful and awkward way to end an orgasm. I know. I know. And then and then you get back there and he's like a jungle cat in the sun also and it's just like you didn't even notice that I was up in the sun. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> and you're a newborn kitten which has some like interesting connotations there, you know, possibly some feline incestual. Yeah, he's a jungle cat, she's a newborn kitten. What kind of kitten? What has happened? <laughs> Also, because I don't speak Greek, um, he uses these, like, little Greek endearments for her throughout the whole thing, and I definitely made, like, shortcuts in my head for them. (laughs) Like, which I used to do, like, for instance, a lot in Harry Potter, when it would be names or words or things that I was unfamiliar with, I would just make a name that sounded like that, and that would be how I referred to it in my head. Um, Yeah, so... That was a way that I got through this book. <laughs> you know, our, our, our guest in our next episode does speak Greek, so we should take notes. of. We should just call her Chris Moo and find out what that means. <laughs> Maybe it means jungle cat. We can only hope. <laughs> um, okay, our last dramatic reading is from the very end of the book when... Uh, when we get our happy ending. And Kate and I are going to switch roles. I'll be Ella. Uh, Kate will be Ari. 
I'm totally madly in love with you. And just like the last time, I really, really want to marry you and be with you forever. But I also spent a large chunk of my life training to become a doctor. And you can still be a doctor, Aristandros frowned as she looked at him in shock. I was being very selfish, which I hate to admit comes naturally to me around you. My mother was so obsessed with the film world that she had no time or energy to spare even for me, never mind my father. I don't want a marriage like that. I once resented your medical career because you chose it over me. Her lovely face was pensive in the moonlight. No, I think I used it as my get-out clause because I had suffered Theo as a horrid example of a womanizer, and I was so afraid of getting hurt. I should have had more faith in you. We didn't have enough time together. Aristandros lifted her hand and slid a ring on her engagement finger. It's the same diamond I planned to give you seven years ago, but I've had it reset. It's glorious. Ella watched the glittering stone sparkle like starlight on her hand, and a warm, deep sense of happiness began to fill her. We were too young then, he admitted ruefully. If we'd been more mature, we would have tried to find a compromise and a way of being together that we could both live with. Instead, I've lost my temper with you because you made me feel foolish, which was very superficial. Barf. <laughs> So, good news. Even though he blackmailed her into giving up her career, she can have it back. Yay! As long as she doesn't work but too only, much. But only part-time. Right. I mean, it's not like she needs to work at all, because he's a billionaire. But she loves yeah. it so much that she becomes the part-time doctor on the island, because there's just not enough sick people on the island for a full-time doctor. Yeah, it's more like a hobby, really. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I think I it's just, time... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think it's time to move on to a rousing game of Would You Rather. Yay! Yay! Would you rather have a sex contract with Christian Grey or a sex contract with Aristandros Zanakis? So, I thought about this. I didn't read all of Fifty Shades. I gave up partway through. And the physics of some of that sex just doesn't work. (laughs) That's not how bodies bend. He's he's very good at it. I'm afraid Christian Grey would, like, literally break me, but you had a little more choice with him, you know. All that control you gave up was by choice, so I would go with Christian Grey. I would go with Christian Grey, no question. Like, <laughs> yeah. No question. <laughs> me too. Absolutely. I would go with Christian Grey in a heartbeat. That contract was a negotiation. He was very attentive. He went down on her, like, all the time. All the time. Right off, too. <laughs> but, like, he, he, despite what the internet might tell you, he was, like, very much, like, in tune with what she needed and what she wanted. And, like, when she wanted to stop and what her boundaries were, which this guy does not seem nope. to understand that boundaries exist. Nope. Right. Only his boundaries exist. Yes. No one else has boundaries. Only him. Right. Even the gifts. I mean, Christian Grey gave her a new laptop. I would love a new laptop. Um, <laughs> if you're listening, future sex partners. Uh, I would take that over the diamonds any day. Okay. How about this is a, another callback to another book we've read. Uh, be forced to marry an old timey Scottish lord in order to be safe from the English or be forced to be the mistress of a Greek billionaire to see your niece. 
Um, I'm going to go with old-timey Scottish Lord because even then I could still play with all my herbs, which is kind of like old-timey Scottish medicine. Mm -hmm. Like, she got to be a doctor the whole time. Yeah. She did not Um, have to give up her career. No. In fact, they're like, hey, you have awesome skills. We would like to use them. Here are some herbs for you to pick. So, yeah. I would definitely go for the old-timey Scottish Lord. (laughs) I'm going to go with the mistress to a Greek billionaire to see your niece because A, like free baby. B, <laughs> there's no Netflix in old timey Scotland, as far as I could tell from reading Outlander. I didn't read all the books, just the first one. Maybe they get Netflix there. Who knows? Yeah, maybe there's a. another portal, like a Netflix portal. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, like a rapey sex contract parts aside, I am like totally into the idea of somebody as i said during the <laughs> during the 50 shades episodes like if you're out there rich person who wants to take me on as a mistress and i can quit my job and do whatever i want and work on like writing and watching netflix and playing with babies during the day like i'm here for that absolutely like sign me up done <laughs> you can't do that you have to just tend to his needs kate <laughs> Um, this, yeah, this is tough. I, uh, I don't know. I don't really want the surprise baby. I'm not that excited about that. I'm not that excited about the time travel either. But I guess, I guess I would choose the Outlander option and hopefully uh, make friends with Jello the witch. I think that would, that would be (laughs) (laughs) She is my favorite. See, the, the, awesome. <laughs> the, the one who, the one who was secretly poisoning her husband with herbs was my favorite about <laughs> well she was also secretly from the future yeah so we'd be bros lady bros totes. Totes. so that's my outlander choice <laughs> and last up would you rather be blackmailed by a billionaire or meet your future spouse on christianmingle.com well, this is hard because I want to support ChristianMingle.com because they're such a loyal sponsor <laughs> to this wonderful podcast. Thank you. But also I'm Jewish, so <laughs> that might have some issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I would be blackmailed by a billionaire, but only if I could get him to take over sponsorship oh. of your podcast. <laughs> we could appreciate that. <laughs> and make him legit sponsor you. <laughs> That would be amazing if we could be what Christian Mingle brought to you by a weird billionaire. <laughs> I mean, I mean, worst bestsellers brought to you by a weird, weird billionaire. You know, honestly, who is behind Christian Mingle? It's probably also a weird billionaire. <laughs> yeah, the interesting thing though is I think Christian Mingle is like by the same people who do J-Date. So. I think you're right. And I and, think they also have like an LDS one? date. Yeah, I think they own like all the specialty dating sites. <laughs> what about Ashley Madison? Do they own that one? <laughs> we'll um, have to do an investigation <laughs> I, I do think that I would stay loyal to christianmingle.com our wonderful sponsors because then how else would I know that my, my billionaire that I'm being blackmailed by has the good Christian values that I care about I guess <laughs> I don't know. That joke got away from me. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I don't think that blackmail is a Christian value. I'm, I'm going to put that out there. I don't think a good Christian would blackmail me at all. Nope. So. All right. 
Uh, let's let's get into some reader's advisory where mainly Jenny will uh, recommend some better <laughs> romance novels for you guys. Yeah, I'm going to just um, start off quickly to say, like, as usual, um, you can get a lot of these tropes and a lot of the sex and everything from fan fiction. Um, mm-hmm. And by this time, I do believe that we will have our fan fiction guide up on the website that you can check out if you are new to this arena and want to dive in. That's at worstbestsellers.com. Yes. Okay. So, um, Ruthless Billionaire Forbidden Baby by Emma Darcy is another Harlequin <laughs> Presents. Um, and this is also kind of like a marriage and convenience thing. Um, the Ruthless Billionaire is kind of like a Mark Zuckerberg-esque tech genius. And um, his sister's friend, they meet at a wedding because they're both like in the wedding party. And um, they kind of have this ongoing affair. Like when he's in town, they hook up and then she accidentally gets pregnant. And he's like, well, you know, I was this child prodigy and it was really lonely. So we need to get married because I am the only person. I'm one of the few people in the world who can understand what our kid goes through if they end up being a child prodigy. So they get married, but it's very like they both kind of just live in the same house and raise the kid together. And then they fall in love and later no sex paperwork. Uh, Pretender to the Throne is about a prince from a place that is totally not Greece at all. Nope, 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 nope. Um, And he is out being a playboy in Europe, and he has to come back and take over the throne and lead his country and finds his ex-fiancee and talks her into marrying or, like, being his fiancee again to lead the country together. But it's because, like, you know, we can both do good and I need you by my side to help me. And, you know, once again, no sex paperwork. Mm-hmm. When they hook up, it's because they both want to. And then Secrets of a Bollywood Marriage. Oh, oh and Pretended Shit Thrones by Maisie Yates. And Sin Secrets to a Bollywood Marriage by Susanna Carr is one where um, these two Bollywood stars were married. And then um, she was pregnant and she had a miscarriage. And she just kind of, they just kind of break down after that. And their marriage kind of falls apart. And she comes back and she's like, look, let's just actually get a divorce. And he's like, well, I am in the middle of an investment deal right now and I need to appear stable. So if you, you know, like pretend to be my wife, I mean, like they're still married, but like if you like act like you still love me and be my wife for two months and you have to sleep in my bed, we don't have to touch, but the servants talk. So we got to at least like sleep in the same bed. Um, Then I'll get you the divorce and I won't contest it. Um, But you know what? no sex paperwork so I think I mean and so those are three books but all three are Harlequin Presents so they're very much the same thing and it's a very similar story just done so much better without the weird abuse rapey dynamics um, it, it seems to me like you are anti-sex paperwork Jenny I, I am mean. anti-sex paperwork <laughs> I think sex should just happen when it wants to happen not because I signed a piece of paper with my lawyer watching I know like I'm into some weird stuff um, <laughs> but um so also if you like lots of real sex with um that's more than just p and v Mm -hmm. um victoria doll is a wonderful wonderful contemporary romance author and she's also published by harlequin she's not part of the harlequin presents line but she's a harlequin author who writes amazing 
amazing contemporary romance. And I'm really excited because she has a few, like, she has like a librarian heroine that I love, but her new book that's going to come out, it just went up on NetGalley, so it'll be out in a few months, six months, I don't know. Um, But the hero is a librarian. Yay. Yes, I'm excited. Um, I also read a lot of historicals. I think historicals are a nice way to get that weird power dynamic without it being weird because that's just society. Mm. Um, Sarah McLean, Tessa Dare, and Julianne Long are some of my favorites. And I also really like because they make these strong women who are doing what they want to do while still within the confines of society but not being limited by the confines of like Regency society. Um, one I'm going to especially call out is called Any Duchess Will Do by Tessa Dare because it's a similar um, plot contrivance where this duke, his mother, decides he has to marry and sh- he'll pick a girl and she will turn that girl into like the proper duchess. So he picks like this barmaid <laughs> and the barmaid's like, what? No. And he's like, no, no, no. Just like go through this and then I'll give you all this money because I'll prove my mom wrong and then we can both go on our way. But she's like, all right, I'll do it because she wants the money because she wants to open a lending library for ladies in her town. But the twist is all the books will will be dirty <laughs> because she knows that all the ladies in this town of Spindle Cove, like they want the dirty books. So she's going to open this lending library and the covers will look all respectable, but the insides. And I just love the fact that she that's the business she wants to do is dirty <laughs> books for old timey ladies because that's awesome. That is awesome. So, yeah. Um, so that is my reader's advisory just to get people started. Um, I have one that I'm going to suggest, just not for people who like romance, but people like me who are like, why does every one of these romance novels end with a baby? Uh, And that is a nonfiction collection of essays called Selfish, Shallow, and Self-Absorbed, edited by Megan Dom. And it's just 16 different writers talking about their decisions not to have children, which I recently read and enjoyed. So... Keep that in mind if you don't want to read a romance novel that ends with babies. Oh, yeah. And the Victoria dolls usually don't end in babies. I don't think they ever end in babies, but maybe they do. But most of them, the ones I've read do not end in babies. That's awesome. So, yes. I mean, we're... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, I, I support a woman's right to choose to read about babies all she wants or to have them. I just, for me, that's not necessarily a happy ending. Like, it sounds just very stressful. <laughs> we're seeing more and more in modern romance... Um, we're seeing more and more baby-free endings because you're not alone in that and being like, you know, a baby for me, not a happy ending. <laughs> Huzzah. <laughs> and so we're seeing more in that. And just like, I think some of like with the rapiness and sometimes you guys often talk about like romance novel rape. Mm-hmm. And that's because romance used to be very dubious consent. And yes. one, of the th- one of the theories being that, you know, two, three decades ago, women weren't allowed to admit that they'd liked sex and wanted it. Right. So if the consent was dubious, then it was okay that they were enjoying it. <laughs> because right. they, they didn't have, they, well, they didn't have a choice in the matter, but, you know, they're making the best of a bad situation. Right, and that's kind of how I feel about this book, is like, mm-hmm. you know, Ella wasn't allowed to admit that her work was too stressful, but if she's forced to give it up, then she can have, like, this life that she wants. Yeah, this is, like, very kind of old school in that way. Um Old school tends to be kind of like romance code for kind of rapey. Because <laughs> uh, they used to, I mean, they used to be that way, but most contemporary, not contemporary, but like most current romances being written right now, women have agency. They can ask for what they want and what they need. And they, you know, have active consent into what 
happening with their relationship. So that's cool. Just want to point that out. <laughs> I, I look forward to Harlequin Harlequin's new imprint, uh, the Boat Full of Morning After Pill series. <laughs> <laughs> Coming this fall. I hope. <laughs> I, <gotta laughs> I want it. <laughs> Alright, um, so check out our website, worstbestsellers.com, for all these titles and more that you might like to read. And now we'll move on to our candy pairing, where we'll suggest a candy that will go along with this book the way you might choose a wine to accompany your meal. Alright, so my candy pairing is Tabasco Jelly Bellies, because they're red, and the red flavors, like, there's a lot of red flavors, but they're always delicious. You get, like, the cinnamon, or the cherry, or the raspberry, and then you get the Tabasco one, and and you're expecting a good flavor, and you bite into it, and then all of a sudden your mouth is on fire, and you're crying, because what the (laughs) hell is this? (laughs) This is not what I wanted. And... So, like, the other Harlequin presents are your cinnamons and cherries and good red flavors that come in the Hello Kitty mix. Yes, the best one. And then this particular novel is the rogue Tabasco Jelly Belly you were not expecting. (laughs) And it makes you cry in horror. (laughs) For my candy pairing, um, I went with white chocolate Kit Kats because a lot of people think they're super gross, but I like them, and I've been known to indulge in one every once in a while. <laughs> um, I have also chosen the white Kit Kat for this book because I think they're super gross. But I, I respect Kate's right to eat them. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to get white Kit Kats taken off the market or anything. Friendship. <laughs> to the max. What a chunk. <laughs> I understood your reference. <laughs> Good job, Steve. <laughs> and now we will move on to our favorite Avengers, uh, Wolverine and Dwayne the Rock Johnson, to play, <laughs> to play our game, The Rock, Paper, Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Jenny can choose either of those to be the winner or paper, which would be to leave this book as is. All right. If The Rock were in this book, he would be Hercules. Actual facts, Hercules, from mythology, made into flesh and blood again after pleas from Ari's grandfather brought him his attention to Ari's rock star plan to blackmail his ex-girlfriend into loving him again. Hercules, a champion for justice, along with a champion for beating the crap out of things that get in his way, uh, first tries to talk to Ari about what he's done and why it's wrong. When that doesn't get through to him, Hercules punches him literally into next week. Then, once the rest of the world gets caught up to Ari hanging out in next week, Hercules asks him again, and Ari tearfully admits all of his tragic backstory to Ella, and admits he's still in love with her, etc., and she admits she's still in love with him, etc., and they decide to pursue their love, which Hercules finds sort of dubious, but whatever, as long as they're happy. He leaves them with a parting reminder for Ari that should he continue to use blackmail to get what he wants, Hercules will continue to use punching for what's right. Good job, Hercules. Right? (laughs) All right. Um, So for Wolverine, if you were in this book, uh, one detail that I don't think we mentioned, or if we did, you should be reminded that in the gossip stories that were coming out about Ella and Ari, some of the magazines were calling her Dr. Dazzler, 
because she's a doctor and she dazzled him, I guess. I don't know. Well, also because she's super, super pretty when she actually puts on fancy gowns and jewelry and makeup. When she doesn't dress like a boring doctor, she's super hot. You know, yeah, she takes off her glasses and becomes Dr. Dazzler. <laughs> Unpins her hair, shakes it out, yeah. you know. So, <laughs> so, she's Dr. Dazzler. So, if Wolverine were in this book, um, you know, he and Jubilee would be hanging out at the X-Mansion, and Jubilee is reading People magazine, and she starts laughing and tries to read this story out loud about Ari and Dr. Dazzler. Wolverine asks, oh, is that the Dazzler we know, like the X-Men Dazzler? And Jubilee says no. And Wolverine says, well, he doesn't think it's any of their business then. Um, And they just continue to spend the morning reading magazines. And back in Greece, um, Ella and Ari continue fucking on a boat, undisturbed by superheroes. (laughs) Um, So I like Wolverine and Jubilee just ignoring what's going on. But I'm going to have to go with The Rock because... In the Rock's version, Ari gets punched in the face a lot, mm-hmm. and I'm really <laughs> down with that. And I think he needs a lot of face punching, so the Rock wins. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> there are no losers in Rock Paper Snicked, except for Ari. Except for yes. Ari. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, let's move on to the moral of the story. Which for me, the moral of this book was. Women really can have it all as long as a billionaire blackmails them into having it. My moral is feminism is great, but it can only take you so far. So make sure you have a man ready to step in and fix everything in your life. The moral of this story is there's only one true judge and that's God. So chill. I let my father do his job. No, wait, that's the moral to none of your business by salt and pepper. Um, <laughs> sorry, every time you guys like the moral of this story, and I'm always go there, and you guys never do, so I had to. Um, no. <laughs> Thank the you. moral of the great tycoon's blackmailed mistress is that blackmail and manipulation is a perfectly cromulent way to prove your love. It really is. <laughs> I mean, they embiggen their family. They do. <laughs> And now we'll turn to Duarte's corner. Well, my my cat Duarte will share his opinions on the Greek tycoon's blackmailed mistress. Thank you, Dorte. I do agree that that whole jungle cat and weak newborn kitten thing was really weird. Um, and I do think you're right. It's offensive. Newborn kittens are not that weak. I don't think that's a good comparison at all. Good insights, as always, Dorte. We're lucky to have them. We are. Okay, um, I have a small child here with me. Should we get her take on this book? Absolutely. Dorte's okay. corner and baby corner. All right. So, tiny child, can you tell the good people what you think of this book right here that Mama's looking at? Boring. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the children have spoken. It is boring. <laughs> I can tell she's going to follow in your footsteps. Um, good, <laughs> good, good. <laughs> she looked at it a really long time, and then she's like, "It's boring." That's a great <laughs> That's review. A good, solid recommendation. Then. <laughs> 
All right. Um, do any any other humans have closing thoughts about the Greek tycoon's blackmailed mistress? Oh, I will say uh, she's upset that I, she had to give commentary on the Greek tycoon's blackmailed mistress because she's much more into the cover on Secrets of a Bollywood Marriage. Oh, okay. Does <laughs> yeah. that one have like pretty saris on it or something? Or um, so my covers are a little different because I'm looking at the large print versions. Uh-huh. Um. So, but Secrets of a Bollywood Marriage with the large print one, she is heavily bejeweled. Excellent. Yes, in the way that you would expect a Bollywood star to be heavily bejeweled. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jenny and Jenny's baby. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Worst Bestseller. You can like us on Facebook at The Worst Bestsellers. You can subscribe to us in iTunes and Stitcher and please don't make us blackmail you into rating and reviewing us. We'd really rather you just did it of your own volition. Because we know that you do secretly want it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) You can follow me on Twitter at 14across. You can follow me on Twitter at Renata Snacks. You can follow me on Twitter at KidSilkHaze. I've been meaning to ask you, Jenny, why is that your Twitter name? Um, So it is a type of yarn. When I first got into blogging back in, like, the late, like, the turn of the century, um, back when Blogger was, like, the only platform out there, I was a knitter, a knitting blogger, and so, like, my email address at the time, and my blog name, and everything was Kids Sell K's, and the knitters were all like, oh, that's such an awesome yarn, and Mm -hmm. it is an awesome yarn, Uh and then... So I just keep using it. It's also usually not taken. Also, if you enjoyed um, my daughter's commentary on the book, you could follow both of us on Tumblr at explainingsongs.tumblr, um, which is just me trying to explain pop songs to her. As she asks <laughs> what various songs are about. It's pretty great. Um, do you want to plug your book blog as well? Oh, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> So I also blog about books at jenrothchild.com, so you can follow me there and Twitter and everything else. It's all linked. And we'll we'll have links to Jenny's links on our website, worstbestsellers.com. Along with Reader's Advisory and, uh, you know, all sorts of other stuff that you might be interested in. Yes. And we will back, it will be back in two weeks with our first James Bond novel, Live and Let Die by Ian Fleming. I hope you all have that song in your head now. Sorry. Never apologize. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Okay, well, Becca, delete all of this. We're talking about you. We're trying to make it sound better for you, Becca. We want you to like us.